When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. We have a special guest. She is a world traveler, a podcast co-host, a podcast producer plus editor, a writer, copywriter. But the reason she's on this show today is because she has a very interesting perspective in the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. And I thought it would be a good idea to get her perspective. We're going to talk about things like mental health and misinformation, honesty, feeling feelings, and calling out evil for what it is. But with that said, I want to introduce you to Jackie Mercer. Hold your station, this education is relevant. The motivation through conversation is evident. We're talking spiritual body, mind, development. This is the manhood experiment. The manhood experiment. Before we continue, we need your help. We'd like to reach more like-minded people just like you and share our knowledge on personal growth, health, and success. So can you do us a favor and in your podcast app, hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review and leave us an encouraging comment. Do it right now while you listen to this episode. That will help us know you're listening and that you care and that little action will help us reach more folks. Now back to our show. All right, welcome back to The Manhood Experiment. In this episode, we have a special guest. She is a world traveler a podcast co-host, a podcast producer plus editor, a writer, copywriter. But the reason she's on this show today is because she has a very interesting perspective. She's traveled the world. She's very aware of what's going on in the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. And I thought it would be a good idea to get her perspective. And it's a little different than what you see on the news. We're going to talk about things like mental health and misinformation, having compassion in this time, open communication, honesty, feeling feelings, and calling out evil for what it is. So it's a heavy topic. But with that said, I want to introduce you to Jackie Mercer. And also, Jackie is the podcast editor for this show. So Jackie, welcome. We also have Jay Dragon and Dreams. Let's do a roundtable and welcome Jackie. I feel the welcome. Thank you. Welcome. It's awesome to have you here. Awesome to get to have you with the whole squad. And we're very grateful for everything that you do help bringing this to yes, life. Yeah. So thank you. All I got to say is, what's up, cousin? If y'all don't know, me and Jackie, we actually have the same last name within my family. She's a Mercer. My family's Mercer. So it's always good having family on the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, like, cause I see you at the barbecue and we're we going to kick it. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, cuz. So, Dreams, before we start off, tell us, you were on CBS this week. Tell oh, us yeah. Oh, man, man. Yeah, I had like a little feature on CBS. My daughter stole the whole show, so she I should have just let her perform by herself because she killed it. Like, mm-hmm. blazed the stage, killed it. No, nah, but wow. uh, it was cool, yeah. So, I had a performance on the local news. I had a segment here in San Diego on CBS 8. I got connected to a buddy of mine who the segment finds basically the hottest or the most talented artists in San Diego. And they give them this segment to interview them, talk about their music, 
talk about their upbringing and things like that. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. I don't know. Okay. But anyway, it was really cool. For one, I actually got to bring my daughter on for her first TV debut at the age of three. So that was very exciting. Mm, yeah, she's never going to forget that. Yeah, it was just a very special moment, you know, to be able to bring my family in on the things that I'm doing, which I've discovered. And what Jay and I talked about lastly was, well, how do you merge these two pieces? And it was basically just bring them together. So that way you don't discredit one, mm-hmm. you don't take away from your family, you don't take away from your own personal goals, find ways to bring them together. So that was definitely a full circle moment for me. And we enjoyed it, man. My wife got to kind of experience what my day to day would be like. She's like, this is busy. This is work. <laughs> I said, I know mm-hmm. it's work. You think as a creative that it's not, but it was fun. It was a great day. So I appreciate y'all yeah. for supporting me with that. Love y'all. Awesome. By the way, Jay and Drooms had a really good episode on fatherhood last week. If you haven't heard that, go listen to that episode. So, but Jackie's here today. And Jackie, you are, as I mentioned before, a world traveler. You currently live in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm. You're Canadian, but you live in Costa Rica right now. You live on the beach. You oh, have snap. a... Pura Vida. <laughs> yeah, just a beautiful lifestyle you post on Instagram. But you've also traveled a lot and you've seen a lot of things and you've experienced different people in different culture. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your travels, and a little bit about your experience in Israel as well when you traveled there. Yeah, so I am Canadian, born and raised on a small island off of the East Coast. And I live currently in Costa Rica in a small hippie surfer beach town. And it suits me as if it was made for me. And it's by the ocean. It's away from Canadian winters as far away as I could get. (laughs) And it's very earthy and very green and barefoot kind of life. Nice. And I have traveled a lot in the last two decades. It's kind of in my blood, the Mercer blood. My grandmother was a world traveler, traveled far more places, probably double or triple than what I've traveled. And my parents are both really, really adventurous people in different ways as well. So the out-of-the-box life was just kind of my normal, what, what I saw as normal. So I wouldn't really see myself as a traveler, funny enough. like I think I became a traveler by default. I would say that I love traveling, but it was more I love and crave growth. Mm. And I think that when you feel like you get stuck in one space, it's almost like your expansion gets suffocated by the walls around you. And you just need to go somewhere else and let that culture draw something out of you and you draw something out of them. So I often go and I kind of dive deep and I live with people and I eat their food and work with them and not for any reason other than I just want to connect. And so sometimes I actually go to a place like I lived in London for two years and I barely traveled. I just, I rooted myself deep there. So sometimes I do go and I maybe travel a little bit more like place to place, but that's more rare for me actually. So it's more that I've lived in a lot of places. That's different though. Yeah, it is a different way. And I think they're both have a lot of benefit, but yeah, it's just kind of everybody's choice. Yeah. The fact that you lived at certain places gives you actually more credibility than just visiting a place. Because when you visit a place, you Mm kind of get that place's representative in a sense, sometimes, to where you don't really get to know the experiences of the people that live there and really understand the day to day. Because you're there for two weeks. Yeah. The Instagram version. Right, right, right. (laughs) 
I absolutely love it. You're right, because I think you're immersing yourself in that culture. And it's more than a perspective. It's like when you're inside of it, it's just you get to experience things at such a deeper level. And that resonates with me because my wife and I bonded through the experience of, you know, the travel, live kind of that gypsy lifestyle. We both yearned for that. And my wife, as a nurse and a travel nurse, we had that opportunity to live all over the place. And that's why we've lived in six or seven different cities in the last five years. And then in between contracts, I was working remote and we were able to travel all over the world. And, you know, so some of the spots that you said are some of our favorite spots, you know, Costa Rica was one of our most memorable spots that we visited before the birth of our daughter. So it's possible, you know, it was that Pura Vida, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. experience that, that's what the magic that, happened. That, uh, yes, that, sir. that brought that out. But do you surf over there too? <laughs> I feel like I'm a fake surfer, so no. It's all right. I was too. I was a beach lifeguard for a long time, so Mm. it's more like I would do more paddleboard and rescue board stuff, so I feel like I should be a surfer, but I'm pretty awful, actually. (laughs) Yeah, just just got to get your reps in. uh, No, you're in an amazing spot for it. It's one of the best places all year round, as you are very aware of, I'm sure, so Mm. that's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about more and more of the travels. So out of... I always love asking questions for people that have traveled places. So it sounds like you've been a handful of places. If you were going to split time, where would you say, you know, if you had two spots, just looking back in the places you visited that you would split time, something like that, like places that you'd go back and, and either visit or live again. Like what are a couple that maybe people wouldn't expect or come to your mind? Hmm. I always find those questions so hard to answer because mm-hmm. every place I go, I think that is the greatest special experience Mm -hmm. on earth and Mm -hmm. whenever i'm leaving i'm like i'll be back here and my friends are like no you won't and i'm like no i'll be back and then i go to the next place and i'm like this is the greatest (laughs) but so right now costa rica is that and i think that this for me in my head and this is probably the first time i really felt this that i feel like i could live here for 15 or 20 years like it just feels Mm -hmm. like i could get a house and this is yeah and growing up in cold winters i was not made for it and people all the time are like oh, you're Canadian. Like I just wasn't born with the ability to take seven or eight months of winter and cold Mm. and it affects me physically. And so to be in a place where you just can thrive in the best version of yourself, even working out Mm. is honestly 90% easier than it is in Canada in the Mm. winter. So you just like live differently and So yeah, Costa Rica. And then, I mean, there would be some part of me that would probably want to go home for a Canadian summer. Mm -hmm. Our summers are the most beautiful. I spent my time a bit in South Carolina and then Mm -hmm. probably Israel. So four places. (laughs) And as we pivot to that and get deeper into this discussion, Jackie, tell us a little bit about you lived in Israel or you traveled to there and spent a while there and got to know the culture. Yeah, so Israel was kind of no different than the regular travel experiences. I didn't really have a grid for it. Somebody asked me, Mm -hmm. I worked for Disney. I lived in the Bahamas for three and a half years. That was where I did a lot of my beach lifeguarding. And Mm -hmm. when I was working for Disney, you kind of just work for like four and a half months and then you go and you have all this money. And so somebody said, you want to go to Jerusalem? So I was like, yeah, why not? So I went to Jerusalem and as soon as I landed, I can't really explain it. I landed in Tel Aviv and I just knew, I was like, I'm going to live here. It was just this moment. And I had no grid for it. I had no bandwidth or anything. So then we went for a week and had this amazing time in Jerusalem. And then I just went back. I lived all together probably two and a half years over a seven year span. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Jerusalem for 
a big, like probably half of that. I lived in Tel Aviv for the other half and was in and out of different places and mm-hmm. people that just became friends, but that really became like family, mm-hmm. full families kind of adopting me in. So every holiday, like one of like the papas, I guess he would call me maybe once a week and he would just say, Jackie, you have money? Yes. You're safe? Yes. You have food? Yes. When are you coming to visit us <laughs> next weekend? Okay, bye. <laughs> and it was just like people just like yeah. checking up on me. So it became, yeah. yeah, it just became this real family mm. life for me. And I speak Hebrew. So I learned the language and I worked there. So it expands your mind when you learn a language because yeah. all of a sudden you begin to communicate from the eyes of how they communicate. And the way you begin mm-hmm. to think, you have to think the way they speak. And so it just shifts some part and aspect of the way you live, I mm. guess. Wow. And the holidays are, honestly, it's like the Bible lived out. They have the holidays from the Bible and they still live them to this day. So you get this living version of when we call like the Sabbath, which is for us Sunday, they live it out a different way, the how it was written biblically. So it's like mm. rest. I mean, it is like they chill, they sleep, they nap, <laughs> they don't do anything. So I took that on when I left. But yeah, I just feel mm-hmm. like it just kind of developed into this beautiful other world. That's really cool. Yeah. And we all know what happened in the last couple of weeks over in uh, Israel and the Middle East. And you have had some close friends there. You have some close friends there who have suffered losses under extreme stress. What sort of feelings have you felt throughout this entire situation, this tragedy? I would say every feeling under the sun, probably. And I would say everyone there tenfold. Mm -hmm. A list of some of those, like I would say, devastated, heartbroken. I think flabbergasted more at response and seeing the world's reactions to it, shock, connection, and connection with Mm -hmm. the people, like just feeling very heart connected to these people I love so much, Mm -hmm. pain, sorrow, empathy, confusion, (laughs) just to name a few. Yeah. And I think it's good that when I heard you and Brittany speak on your podcast, on the Edge podcast, You talk about acknowledging feelings, and I thought that was a really good point. A lot of times when things happen like this, we sort of, oh, it's so far away from me, and let me just numb this out. Let me just focus on something else, positive Mm -hmm. thinking. But when you have that sort of connection to, you know, people and friends there, it it makes a situation so much more different. You can't turn it off. Yeah. I can definitely connect to that moment of, you can't turn it off when it directly affects you, directly affects the people that you know. Just recently, back in 2020, I had a very similar emotion with everything that was going on. Just because of my culture and my background, things that if you're staying in a nice neighborhood and things like that, you don't see it, you can turn it off and you can put it away past your mind that, no, nah, that's not what I'm seeing. That's a, I can't be what's really happening. It must be the news exaggerating it or exasperating on the story. And there were certain times where I'm like, that could be true as well. But the fact that when it's personally connected to you, you can't turn these things off. You take it to work, you take it home because it's for you, it's your family that you've built a relationship with there. And hopefully they're doing okay. Like your pop, that he embraced you. I hope he's doing well. His family is doing well. But how is that as far as how do you manage these emotions yourself of not being able to 
necessarily turn it off or look away. Even if you turn the TV off, your mind's still there because of your connection with the people. How have you been managing? Yeah, I think that understanding when you need to shut off, like when it's not helpful to be engaged versus giving yourself grace that sometimes you need to be engaged and it's okay, like even if you're Mm -hmm. not doing so well. So that week I barely worked. I actually canceled a lot of things. I worked out and that was actually super, super helpful. That was the only thing I did (laughs) besides be completely consumed. So that was a game changer for me. But I would say just learning how to shut off when you need to and being okay and giving yourself grace Mm. to feel what you need to feel. And how do you know how you're going to react? You just don't. So you just have to let it come out and then talk to your friends who are in it too and feel it and not be angry that other people don't know the situation because not everyone lived in Mm -hmm. Israel for two and a half Mm. years, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. And you spoke to Brittany on your podcast, on the Edge podcast, and you mentioned the what about ism that's happening right now. You know, it's bombarded the airways. And basically it's, you know, a lot of loud voices online that says, well, what about this? What about the bloodshed on Israel's side? And it seems to be a reoccurring theme with this what about ism in politics during the pandemic as well. And I think you made a good point where you said, let's all agree to call out the atrocity, the evil, the terrorism, period. Let's agree to that at least. It's not a taking sides of pro anything at this point. Just let's have that as a baseline. Could you talk a little bit about that, expand on that? Yeah, I think that's been the biggest shock for me, maybe that flabbergasted feeling. Because, for instance, it was done by the terror group Hamas, which is a terrorist organization in multiple countries, including Canada, including U.S. officially. Mm. And so they Mm -hmm. have a charter of rights that you can read. It's like if you go to a website, you can read the about that someone has. You can just read what they say. And Hamas states it very clearly what their goals are and what their mission is. And it's really sad and it's really dark. And just they also speak it over video and they're just very clear with what they believe. Is there something that you read that stood out to you that just really made you say, wow? Typically, I watch a lot of movies, right? And one of my biggest things that I looked into are the, I guess, the anti-heroes and then sometimes just the villains and looking at their conviction for the moral ambiguity. Like when people think they're doing the right thing, but they're going 100% the wrong way about it. Was there anything that said because of their conviction, this group is really, you know, that shook you up to make you... It's better understand the situation and the motivations of the people involved in all of this. Yeah, I think that knowing, and I guess I've been in Israel understanding what they've dealt with with Hamas for, I mean, this isn't a new thing that's happened. And it's not even this, let's call it the territorial issue, is not even just something that happened since 1948. You're talking thousands of years. So you're immersed in it when you're there. So I've looked into... Hamas many times and read their charter. And I think the thing that shocked me the most is this blind backing of something that I'm like, if genuinely, if you, if you read that, is that, Mm -hmm. do you align with that? Like, do you align with what they say they stand for? And so it's almost like you just see this blind backing of something that is pure evil. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what's maybe shocked me the most instead of just us all being able to say, 
wow, that is one of the most horrible atrocities that I've ever seen. And what can we do as a society to get rid of terrorism collectively mm -hmm. rather than, yeah, but what about it's there's no yeah, but it's just a period. It's just it, it is that evil. And so I think you see some of the same things happening in Iran. And this group is backed by Iran. And we all see that as evil. And you see these women bravely standing out. I mean, I'm sure people have seen videos of just what the women do for resistance and for fighting for the cause. It is absolutely some of the most brave things you'll ever see. This is the same group happening the same, but people react to it with, but what about, and then you see these marches, like there was one in Sydney, Australia, and the chants that hundreds of people were chanting were like gas the Jews or whatever mm. that is. And I'm thinking, when did we move from an issue of Israel to a people group? Yeah. There's people the, the, all over the world, you know? And so I just feel like there's this blind backing of things that we haven't looked into. And it's like, I don't think we all align with this thing that we're chanting and saying that we agree with. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. now it's become an attack on Jewish people. And I just think, how did we get there? And how are we not seeing that that's where we are? So, Gotcha. Do you think that may be some of the reasons where America has kind of voiced their support of the people of Israel in a sense of keeping that separation from things that step in the gray of anti-Semitism, right? And that could be a reason why when we hear representatives of America saying we're supporting Israel, do you feel that that's where that piece is coming from? I think a part of that comes from the fact that Israel is a huge ally for the United States because they're the only democracy in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So the value system, like let's even call it the Judeo-Christian value system that Canada and the British, the US, all of us are, a lot of Western countries are built upon. And they're all different mm -hmm. in how they build upon that value system, but that is generally the foundation. There is that in Israel as well. Mm -hmm. So I think there are people that are able to set, which I think is right, to separate something else from something else. It's like, what are we talking about? It's like two countries that have similar value systems. We support this value system in this region versus here's all the things going on in that region that are almost like another thing. Yeah. You know, converging them all in one is what I think is bringing a lot of confusion. I see what you're saying, because it's not always just uh, black and white with everything. It's not easy to strain out the good versus the bad with certain situations. And we tend to want to do that as humans to simplify big, complex moments in time to just so we can break it down to a simpler understanding for us because we like things simple, but it's not always that simple. So I think, like you said, and I thank you for explaining that piece because I think a lot of people don't really understand that part of America's relationship to Israel and the history of that value with democracy and that being a big goal for us. But I thank you for clarifying that mm -hmm. with your experience from Palestine. Go ahead, T. So I think also, this just alludes to what Jackie's saying, the calling out of evil. It's so masked in the complexity of the history and everyone now has an opinion. And I think it's just so lost right now. There's a lot of disinformation and misinformation going on in the world right now. And I looked up the difference between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is false or inaccurate information getting the facts wrong 
disinformation is false information, which is deliberately intended to mislead, intentionally misstating the facts. And I think this is what's happening right now as well on top of the politics. And we live in a, and this goes to the new question now, and we live in a world right now where we are, if not slowly, fast becoming prisoners of our own biases. We're sort of seeking relevant information to back up our beliefs. People right now in America, they don't believe Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. They find some alternative facts and they latch onto these versus actually go and look for the evidence that does exist. With the Middle East conflict, uh, right now what I see happening online are people saying, well, they don't believe this happened. Example, the babies being slaughtered, killed. They say they need evidence. And then when there is evidence, it's like, okay, that's fake. So this is a question for the group. And Jay, I'd love you to chime in as well, too. And why, as a society, have we become so cynical? And how do we pierce this misinformation and disinformation epidemic that's going on right now? I mean, I think it's just part of human psychology that people respond to negativity and fear because it alters mm. your living. And it's nothing that shakes your sense and feeling of safety and challenges as much as fear. And it's something that people respond to, unfortunately, positivity, and it doesn't have the same type of effect because it doesn't have that response. And I think that people are going to have a narrative, the way that they look at things, the way that they interpret things. Mm -hmm. And it's such a complex, sticky issue where you get a lot of people that don't know enough about the history of everything. And, you know, I haven't chimed in a whole lot because I'm not well versed. I have great friends of mine, like you know, one of my best friends is Muslim and Arabic and probably has a slightly different take on things as some of my really good friends that are Hebrew yeah. or have that background. And at the end of the day, I think we can all agree that the evilness side of things, it's hard to justify that anything is positive there. And, you know, you wish things could go about in such a different way, but the way the news, the way we see things, the way it's broadcasted at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And it's sad. It's the sad truth. But there's a narrative of entertainment to grab people's attention and to create this emotion to make them feel a certain way. And it's it's something that it's it's why people watch drama movies. It's why it's just a part of this psychology to a really deep level. And I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's something that it requires people going deep to try to understand and have that empathy. And it's sticky. I think it's such a sticky mm -hmm. subject. And it's hard for somebody just to chime in. And, yeah and have an yeah. opinion. So, I mean, that's that's what I have to say to yeah. that. I mean, I can expand on that, but I certainly think there's a lot of misinformation. I think we can agree with certain things that is very disheartening, but it's hard to go in and really defend and label certain ideations and everything. It's true. Yeah, honestly, you're right on that piece of the psychology of safety, right? Before 9-11, mm -hmm. we felt like we couldn't be touched, right? And then 9-11 happened, and then we had movies based on other ideas of maybe the conspiracy theorists. And then the other side is, yeah. well, dang, America has a history of maybe not being the country we thought it was at a time. So maybe that part can also be true, but we wouldn't do that to our own country. You know, so the ideal of safety typically trumps the fear that could be developed from the confirmation or acknowledgement that that could be a possibility, that the latter could be a possibility, that there could be real people that just value money more than human life. And that's a hard thought to live with. So 
I think a lot of that does dwell on that thought and that uh, ability to comprehend both, that both exist, you know? Another piece of this is it takes the time to research these things. For me, I enjoy the history of everything because it makes the world more understandable to me. Like one of my biggest things is the ability to understand complex situations. So that's something I actually enjoy. I think I shared that on a previous podcast. That's always been me. So I'd rather dive in to try to find out the intricacies of each person, of each people, because that's something that I love, like individualization, being able to connect to any person that I meet and strike a conversation that's generally built on an understanding of that culture or their background is important for me. So I definitely can identify with your world traveling experience, Miss Mercer. Maybe it's in my blood too somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that's the difficult part to where if you're going to separate misinformation from disinformation, you got to be willing to do the work. Just how we on the podcast, when you're trying to understand human emotion and the mental complexities of the mind, you got to be willing to do the work if you want to grow, if you truly want to connect, if you truly want to understand and be able to speak on both sides of it. And sometimes it's, it's time. Sometimes it's like where I am mentally right now in life, it's more important for me to protect my mental than it is for me to try to solve the world's problems because we have people in place to solve the world's problems. And then the other side of that is, well, I don't want to be a person that feels ignorant, like I don't care, because that's not always the case. So you want to create a place to where you can find balance to be able to speak to these things. And I think that's where a lot of people are going through, because sometimes I'm like, I got to turn off the news. This is too much. I got a lot of stuff personally that I'm trying to take care of. I got a little one, nine months. I got a baby girl, three months. It's just us and your Cali. I got to get myself together. I give you the best example that I can give. So last night, literally, I was at the grocery store and there was a lady just being shunned away, right? Just being shunned away. She would go up to one car, being shunned away, go to another car. They just completely ignore. In my mind, I was like, that's the worst thing you could do to any human beings, ignore them. And my response was, I'd rather be shunned away than to be completely ignored. And my wife was like, I don't know. I'd rather be ignored than for somebody to angrily tell me to go away because then I know exactly what they mean. And I don't want to bridge too far from that, but I bring it back to the point of me giving that lady the water bottle or something like that for my groceries was the easiest thing I could do at the time because the bigger problem would be trying to figure out world homelessness, right? So we put it into our minds. We take on the problems that we can actually solve as opposed to trying to take on the larger problems that it would take years of learning <laughs> to really understand the complexities about to really create a real solution to that problem. And I think that's where a lot of people are right now. Hopefully I didn't lose anybody in that understanding, but that was the simplest way I could explain it. <laughs> hey listeners, this is Big Dreams. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening to today's episode of The Manhood Experiment. Please follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Manhood Experiment. There you'll find the latest giveaways and some very funny behind the scene moments. Now, back to the show. Thanks for sharing dreams. Yeah, it is hard to, how do we balance that of we want to have the time and energy to learn what's actually going on and to pierce through this misinformation and disinformation bubble. 
but also we have our lives to live and what's in front of us. And Jackie, what is your take on what you're seeing on the news right now? And it goes back to the question as well, like how has a society become so cynical and so numbed out to a lot of things that's going on? Well, I think generally when your trust is jaded, you question everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's in a relationship like that, romantically, friendships, family, whatever. And so when you constantly have jaded trust through news, you've seen, yeah. depending on what side you're on, you just almost question everything and everything is true and everything is false at the same time. So yeah. I think that's maybe where the cynicalness is, is just this exhaustion of like, when you can truly trust even somebody, there's some freedom in that. And when you feel like there is no place to do that that's very difficult so you have a lot of work to do it's a huge responsibility to figure out what you trust because you have to go to so many different places to balance it out and so I think there's like a mixture of things for mis and disinformation is Mm -hmm. wait first before you react just like take a breath if you hear something that happened like breaking news it's probably going to shift so much in the next day So just like Mm -hmm. let the news break before you take a reaction and realize that there's sides to everything. I recommend people to watch debates from really good people on both sides, really good people who value the values of humanity and life and freedom. And when you hear that on both sides, then someone says something and the other person challenges it and you can hear the challenge and you can hear that maybe the holes in it and you can just educate yourself better. And then you realize things aren't as black and white as they seem. They maybe are a bit more gray. So you don't have to kind of be the one responsible for, is this right or is this wrong? There's some things that can just be left, which causes a lot of stress and anxiety of like, I have to be the decider of what is right and wrong in all these situations. And I think also, I think maybe Dream said this, separating what you're reading, like when you spoke about the water bottle to world homelessness, when those are all clumped together, It's like when you're looking at that woman needing a water bottle and you're thinking of world homelessness, it's almost like it's so confusing. It's such a heavy, you can't even navigate it. But when you break it down into the pieces, like for instance, in Israel, it's like, who is Hamas and who are the Palestinians? Do they overlap? Are they the same people or are they different? What percentage overlaps? Who are the Jewish people who are Israelis? Mm. Who makes Mm. up Israelis? Is it all Jewish people? Are there Arabs? Are there Muslims? There's just a lot of questions that people kind of jump on these tracks and don't even, haven't even asked those questions. And it helps with mis and disinformation. And then when you conflate the thousands of year history of the Israel-Palestinian conflict with what was done with Hamas two weeks ago, Well, then how do you navigate that? Because the history of the land itself, it's like there's a million more questions you have to ask. Like what country was there before Israel Mm. in 1948? Like what was Mm -hmm. the actual country? And people would often say Palestine, but there actually was no country. It was seven ruling empires for the last 21 centuries. Or, Mm. (laughs) you know, it's like the Romans, the Mm. Byzantines, Islamic caliphates, the Crusaders, Muslim forces, um, the Ottoman Empire. The British was the most recent before Israel became a nation. So when you don't even know that history and then you're jumping on an Instagram infographic and where did the Jews come from? Mm. The Jews that lived in Algeria, Yemen, Iraq, Iran before 1948, Mm. why did they have to come? Mm. Were they kicked out or did they come voluntarily? Where did the Arabs go? 
Yes. Did they leave yeah. or did they choose to go? What the wars that happened, the War of Independence, the 67 war, which is where a lot of the land contention has come from, the Yom Kippur War in 73. It's like, who started it? Who was defensive? What were the situations around it? So when you're throwing all of that in, it's not a 70 year history, it's a thousands of year history. Yes. And so it gets confusing. So it's like, if you want to focus on that, well, then take some years, figure that out and comment on it. And if you want to deal with the Hamas stuff, read about Hamas, find out who they are, who are the Palestinians, what is Gaza? So that was a little bit long, but there you go. <laughs> I think that's such a great response. And I want to jump to the other question I have for you and the group. We'll start with you, Jackie. But as you know, not too long ago, we lived in the pandemic with COVID and we found people had like extreme views on both sides. There's, you know, it, it was like a divided society. Some believed the virus was dangerous. Some believed it was a form of mass control. We saw the vaccines. Some people saw the value of it. Some people saw it as an extreme disgust. Why am I putting this in my body? Now we're sort of seeing the same things. There's different opinions on the extreme ends of the spectrum. And here's the thing. You want to speak out but you're afraid of confrontation mm. or you're afraid of to upset somebody. Or maybe you're the one who's speaking out, but it's affecting your relationships because people don't agree with you on your views. And the question I guess I'm getting at is, how do you navigate amongst people, your friends, your clo I'm not talking people on the internet. It's like your friends and family who don't necessarily share your views. Jackie? I would probably say there's a few different aspects. One is pick your points with your target audience. Like not everyone needs to know every single point of everything. So like, what are you talking about? Keep it on task. Mm -hmm. So when you're having a discussion and you then, in order to get a point across that someone maybe makes and challenges you on, you bring in some other things, which is the what aboutisms, you know? Yes. It's like separate that, deal with what you're talking about. And if your answer is, I don't know that, then just leave it there. You both have something to research. So pick your points, like keep it simple. Mm -hmm. I would ask, is it a healthy conversation or is it pointless? So if it's a pointless conversation, then do you really yeah. want to waste your energy? Mm -hmm. But if it's a healthy yeah. discussion and uncomfortable, well, that's probably worth it for every side. I would also say we have, I think every human being has an opportunity to open up invitations for people in challenge, but it's not our responsibility to change somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. So everyone, you're able to open an invitation, but then you just have to let the person... Jackie, could you repeat that? I just want the listeners to get that point. Yeah, I would say that every human being has an opportunity in their discussions to open up an invitation of challenge to other people. And how the other person responds to that invitation isn't your responsibility. And when you take on the responsibility of making sure that person not only hears the invitation or hears your point of view, but believes it, mm. well, then you're going to be filled with stress and anxiety and offensiveness and defensiveness. And so then you can't even move forward. It's like people need to let the process happen and think about it for themselves for a little bit. Maybe they realize they're not as studied on that. And they need to go take some time, mm. you know, give everyone grace to go through their process and I just think sometimes, too, you just ultimately need to ask, is this worth talking about right now? And mm -hmm. maybe this group of friends, you just want to go grab a happy hour margarita and just like Facts. laugh about something that happened that day, you know? And it's like, just let that be. Mm -hmm. 
big facts. I agree mm-hmm. with everything you just said. For me, I have certain friends that I only have certain types of conversations with. I have my friends that, you know, we can have a politically charged conversation, but we understand that it's growth because they're bringing their research. I'm bringing my research. And then we're coming out of that conversation with a better understanding overall of both sides and the motivations of both sides to where we're like, ha, huh, I see where we stand in this, me and you as a friend, mm-hmm. you know, not where the whole Democratic Party versus the Republican Party and, and, and you know, all of this, but mm-hmm. me and you as a friend, how do we connect with this and how does this affect where we are? Do our values still align? All right, we good. All right, let's grow. Let's keep building. And then, you know, I've met people that, like you said, want to push their beliefs of what they understand to where they don't stop the conversation until say, I believe what they believe. And I think that's ultimately a sign of emotional immaturity, right? It takes emotional maturity to have a conversation like that and to stay on point. If someone says, Hey, I think what you have right now in the middle of the road, it's in front of my car and I can't get past it. Your donkey is in front of my car. And then they start to argue, well, it's not a donkey, it's a horse. Well, now we're arguing about whether it's a donkey or a horse, as opposed to the main point is, well, it's in front of my goal. It's, it's in a way where I'm trying to go. They changed the whole dynamics of the conversation. So it's very unfair for anybody listening out there to bring points that are not relevant to the solution into a conversation with the individual that's trying to express their, not say grievances or concerns. So that takes emotional maturity mm-hmm. to do that, you know? And I think for me, I'll just chime in as well too. I think when I want to have difficult conversations, I like to create what I call a safe space. It's just like, we're going to have a difficult conversation, but we're not going to disrespect each other. You set the boundaries, you set the rules. And it's almost like you're making sure that this person knows before we even get into a difficult conversation that we still love each other. We're still friends. This is not a diss on you. This is just you sharing your views. I'm sharing my views. We could agree to disagree. And I believe that creating that space before, creating that safe space before, creating that framework before is super helpful for any conversation that you want to enter with friends and family. On the internet, it's a little bit harder to do that, but I feel like there's always a mature way to handle things. Yeah, I mean, chiming into, I think the same thing is you have to respect people's Mm. differences. And I think growing up with people who lived in different cultures and shared different backgrounds, whether it's religious backgrounds or whatnot, like you just have to realize that people are wired different. Their core belief systems are going to be different. And you have to be careful when people are Mm. trying to convince you to think a certain way. I think you have to proceed with caution about how you want to go into that conversation. Like, what is the motive? Why is this person trying Mm. to get me to buy into this? And like, a fair conversation, people will lay out the evidence of why they feel a certain way, but they shouldn't be trying to necessarily Mm -hmm. convince you. And I feel the same way. Like I feel very strongly about certain things in my life, but I've realized it's not fair to just expect people to buy into that because I see it that way. I can lay out my evidence of why I feel that way, but I'm also careful about where I go with Mm -hmm. that. And I think there's the main topics when it comes to politics and diet and different, you know, beliefs and war political views on things. And you have to be careful about how you proceed with that. And unfortunately, I've seen it in in my family. I've seen it with friends in the last, gosh, just the last decade alone with how much shift there's been Mm -hmm. politically. 
and everything that's going on. And you saw it again with every all this whole mess that happened a few years ago with the pandemic. And I think you just have to, you have to be careful and you have to decide, is this worth you taking a stance? And if it's to defend your well-being or your safety, that's one thing. But I think that you can't let your emotions get too caught up in it. I think that's another factor is, I guess there's so much context here to like when these conversations with these beliefs happen, I think you just have to remember to yeah. respect the differences. And there's a time and a place to stand up for if your mm-hmm. safety again is being mm-hmm. conflicted. And that's where you saw this really loud voice that was going on mm-hmm. with the pandemic. And my stance was something like that is just do your homework and your research. Like don't blindly follow this voice that's telling you to do something yeah. there. Not that it 100% is wrong, but just from the perspective of like, do your homework and where are you forming your mm. beliefs? I think you can go a lot of places with asking questions without being disrespectful. But then there's, there's also you can take the high road a lot of times. And I think when I look at this question about you know, how do you navigate when people have different views, it's like in some cases, just stay out of it unless it's affecting you, you know, in a way where you really are called upon to stand up. I like that last mm-hmm. part that you just said, like Jay, um, 100%. I mean, because mm-hmm. if you look at just different things I was involved in 2020, I was out there, I was I was leading protests, you know, and giving the call to mm-hmm. action to help unite the people, to help unite a voice. And I think a lot of people that were marching with me all had their somewhat own independent reasons for marching at that time, which many people do. And I had to also understand that, you know, understand that everybody marching with me didn't have the same exact reason why I was marching that they had. But at the same time, could this help bring attention to the overall or the ultimate cause of what I'm trying to stand for? Yes. Okay. If I can accept that, then I can continue to move forward. And then I can have the conversations, say, with others that understand where I do agree and the pieces that this that I don't agree on to let them know, you know, this is where I stand on this. This is why I'm here. This is the cause of what I'm trying to do. But if you go into from Black Lives Matter to gender and what is this gender and what is that gender, then that's a different conversation for me. It's like saying, is it a horse? Is this a this is my goal of where I'm trying to get to. Now you're changing the conversation of what I'm really working on. You know, the point of what I'm trying to stand for. And knowing that for yourself, for every individual, when you're called to respond, like Jay said, that's where it truly benefits the people that are going to be affected by your stance. That's all Mm -hmm. Big Dreams got to say. Yeah. And there's a case where inaction and silence certainly can cause damage. So I think that these things really do require Mm. context specific to all these different circumstances. But I think that, again, you have to question why people have these really strong beliefs and they're pushing them Mm. on other people. I think that there's a lot of people that just want to make noise and I'm someone who just has this really strong belief of like what good is coming out of this. And like, for example, what I mean by that is it's so easy to just point out all the things that are wrong in your personal life and politics and this business and so on. And I'm definitely a solution oriented person. If I feel like I'm going to complain about something, I'm going to provide yes, a type of solution. But there's some cases where like I don't need to provide a solution because it's not my responsibility. But I certainly think that there's a lot of cases like this where you have shared different views that you just complaining that something is wrong to talk mm. about like how wrong it is. 
you know, isn't always helpful. I think some of these things are really obvious here. So you just have to think of like, is what you're doing, whether it's criticizing someone or something, is it productive for the big situation Mm -hmm. again? And that's where I think it will be really circumstantial. Yeah. I'm going to say these two words, acknowledgement versus engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. Good points. And just curiosity too. I think that before the curiosity mm-hmm. the, into the acknowledgement, absolutely. Yeah. But I think that absolutely. So Jackie, I have a last question here, but is there anything that's on your heart that you want to share that you haven't shared as yet with us about this entire situation that's going on? I would say, I thought some things that you had mentioned, like what are some things you can do when you're navigating these situations? And I think giving yourself grace and giving others grace to go through things is a really important piece to it. And keeping people Mm -hmm. to the limitations of something they've said before the thought was fully formed, like allowing people the process of unformed thoughts. Hmm. How would you define unformed thoughts? What are those? Well, I would say maybe that would be especially relevant for a verbal processor, which I am. And so I have a lot of safe people that are also verbal processors and we really give each other space for unformed thoughts. So it may be a thought of, I'm going to say this thing. And as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I may actually disagree with what I said, or you may say something Mm. else. And as you say it, I'm like, actually, no, that's more what I think from this angle. It's the order of your processing and allowing, especially verbal processors, which I think we all have some aspect of that to verbal process how they need to process through stuff. So, and I think a key to that is finding safe people that doesn't need to be done on the internet. It doesn't need to be done, but giving people space also, if they do do that and have a mistake with it maybe, or say something, it's just like giving everybody grace to whatever level we're supposed to and whatever level is socially right. But also like Mm -hmm. go to the gym and get out, do a little bit of MMA, hit some stuff, you know, disengage when you need to disengage. I think that that is very related to the question I was going to ask. How do you take care of your mental health throughout this situation? But do continue. Yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. that answer maybe is the only thing I did to leave was do MMA and go to the gym. And it was a game changer. Like it brought a bit of sanity. And then sometimes a friend and I would go grab a coffee or and we wouldn't usually talk about politics. You know, we would just talk about how we didn't like the workout or something like that. And um There are ways that aren't helpful to stay engaged and there are times when you need to be engaged. So just knowing what that is and like Jay was saying with the responsibility you have in every situation, it's like everyone has a responsibility in every single situation that happens and sometimes it's not to engage and sometimes it's not to say anything and sometimes it's actually not to have an opinion on it. So it's like if I'm watching something and I feel like that's not my lane, then it's just like, it's okay that I'm not in that lane. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times where this is my lane and that's okay for me to engage. And so knowing what is your responsibility. I like that. Yeah, which can be a really challenging thing. We're tribal by nature, just humans in general, and it can feel challenging to not take a stance in some cases because you feel like mm-hmm. you might be isolated. So I just wanted to add to that type of feeling it's natural i think there's more of a green light for people lately to not enter into an area where they don't have that fully formed opinion i think it's responsible jay yeah i'm gonna say i think you're a responsible individual Mm -hmm. you know because we 
it felt like we kind of put you on the spot here and you're like, hey, I got to be a little bit more versed on this. I don't want to give any misinformation or disinformation. And I feel like if more people carried themselves in that way, we would probably have a bit more clarity and there would be a little bit less noise on the internet, on the news in general, if people only spoke about the things that they knew about. Not saying you don't have an opinion about the information you're receiving, but to add to the conversation with information that you actually can associate with being as truth or at least your personal truth. I think it would be so much better. At the end of the day, I like what Jackie said about just taking care of your mental health, you know, hit the bags, do some MMA, kick some ass, yeah. get some coffee. I like that. That that's that's my style. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's your take on on that? I feel very strongly about one thing we do have to take responsibility is our mental welfare that there is a war being you know, launched and attacked towards it on a, on a regular basis. And there's this idea that I, I've talked about, I've tried to explain the visualization here of our emotional vibration scale. And if you just want to think that like negativity, hate, anger is this downward spiral. And then on the upward spiral is hope and love and understanding and peace and all those positive emotions. It's not simply as easy as just saying, oh, I got to be positive about this. We can certainly try to find a way to go to neutral because whether you believe in positive thinking works, one thing we can agree on is that negative thinking mm -hmm. does work. We've seen the effect that it can take. It creates this narrow-minded perspective and view of how you're looking at life and you're not as creative. You're not as open to ideas when you're caught in this negative fear loop. It's real. We have to address it. But we also have to think that things like gratitude and changing our state, you can't share those same emotions at the same time, gratitude mm. and anger. You can't. You One or the other, you can jump back True. and forth if you want to think about it that way. But we do have to take a break so that we make sure that we're not living in this world of all negative emotions because it really is a downward cycle. And so I think that it's all good that we have outlets. I think it's a no-brainer for me that, yeah, doing a physical thing like getting out, going for a run, something to clear my mind, create some space, something that forget you know, forces yeah. you to get out of your head and come back to your body and your breath. You know, much easier said than done. But obviously, take responsibility as much as you can of your environment. Try to get out of that immediate environment into somebody that is talking about something different. Make sure you're getting that rest and do your best to do something that promotes that parasympathetic nervous system, because when you're worried or stressed and anger, that is fight or flight. It's cortisol is going through the roof and it's not an environment that you want to hang in for long because it's a survival state that our body and system isn't meant mm -hmm. to live in. Jackie, you were going to say something. Yeah. Do you mind if I clarify something? Yeah. As you said something, it made me think, I think that everything has like a spectrum of two truths on both ends of it. And I think when we overbalance mm. ourselves on one end of a spectrum, we begin to believe that the other end of the spectrum is not true because it's not on our end, but it's almost like there's a conundrum between two opposite opposing views also being true. And it's the balance and tension of them together. And so I think even with like giving people grace, that's on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum is a responsibility 
to know when the space is that you say something and know who you say it with and where you keep that. And they both need to exist at the same time. It's like the tension between the giving people grace, yet knowing your own responsibility. That's the work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Well, we're at the end of our episode. I want to thank Jackie for coming on. And Jackie, again, you're the co-host of On the Edge with Britt and Jackie. You could listen more of her discussions around this topic. They just released the episode there. And also, if anyone who wants to launch a podcast, edit a podcast, etc., Jackie is your gal. So you could contact her as well. And with this, we usually end with an experiment. And I want to let Dreams pick the experiment here. I'm with week. it. Put him on Big the spot here. In the house. <laughs> and wrap it up. We're going to wrap us. it up. So... We heard a lot of great things in this podcast today, but overall, what we want you to do is give grace, have good conversations with those that you're around, uh, love the people that are around you, but be open to understand the different perspectives that people have gained through their own experiences. That's the manhood experiment today. Give grace, stay true to you, and then be open to other perspectives. So we thank y'all for listening in to this episode of the Manhood Experiment. We'll see you next time. Till then, take care of yourself. Love y'all. We out. We out. Boom. Hey, what's up? This is Big Dreams. Thank you for checking out today's episode of the Manhood Experiment. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and give us five stars. Not only does your feedback matter, but it helps us to connect with others just like you that find value in our weekly episodes. So subscribe, share, and speak with your friends and family about today's episode. And most importantly, take care of yourself, keep growing, and join us again on the next episode of The Manhood Experiment. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.